You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Jesus is the only way you can be forgiven. And if by the witness of the Word of God and whatever else He allows in your life, and the witness why He, he, he brings you and he, he brings you to a place where you go, I gotta make a decision. Yes, you have to make a decision. And no decision is a decision. You can believe in God. Satan loves you to believe in God. The devils believe in God. James says the devils believe in God. They don't have salvation. He says they believe in God and they tremble. Surely we all know the feeling of asking someone where they'd like to eat, and they say, I don't know. This lack of decision in and of itself is a choice. The same is true of your salvation. All through your life, God has brought people, places, and things around you to point you to Himself. No one will be able to say, I just didn't know, to God on Judgment Day. And in today's message, Pastor Danny will remind you that you always have a choice. One day you'll have to choose, and a lack of a choice is a choice. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 3, as he continues his message, The Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. In 1929, Einstein made a pilgrimage to Mount Wilson Observatory, California, and looked through Hubble's telescope, and he saw for himself evidence that was, he says, irrefutable. Now, you're going to leave church today smarter than when you came in. General relativity supports one of the oldest formal arguments for the existence of a theistic God. What's a theistic God? A theistic God is one who is creator and ruler of the universe. That's a theistic God. And general relativity supports what's called the cosmological argument. And what is that? Three parts. Everything that had a beginning had a cause. Second, The universe had a beginning. And third, therefore, the universe had a cause. Now, hang with me. I know this is, you know, stuff that you don't want to study for a test for. I understand that. Uh, But that last point in the cosmological argument, that's called the law of causality. And so the cosmological argument supports the law of causality. You say, what is the law of causality? Well, let me just give you this. The law of causality is the basic principle of science. If you don't have the law of causality, you don't have science. Someone wrote, to deny the law of causality is to deny rationality. The very process of rational thinking requires us to put together thoughts, that's the causes, that result in conclusions, that's the effects. 
So if somebody ever says to you, I don't really believe in the law of causality, here's what you say. Oh, what made you come to that conclusion? And you got them. Let me give you one more. One more. It's called the teleological argument. Tele, telos means design. Here's the teleological argument. And it has three parts. It goes like this. Every design had a designer. The universe has highly complex design. Therefore, the universe had a designer. English physicist, you'll recognize this name, and mathematician Isaac Newton confirmed the validity of the teleological argument when he marveled at the design of the solar system. And here's what Isaac Newton wrote. The most beautiful system of the sun, planets, comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of a powerful being. Scientists continue to discover and confirm that the universe we live in is like a diamond-studded Rolex, except that the universe is even more precisely designed than the Rolex. Watch. The universe is so specifically tweaked to allow us and other living things to live on this planet in the middle of a very hostile environment. The scientists call the things that allow us to live here and survive, here's what they call them, anthropic constants. Anthropic comes from a Greek word that just means man or human. Now, there's a lot of anthropic constants, a lot. Now, there is a point in all this. When the first astronauts passed over the surface of the moon years ago and saw the earth rise, something that no human being before then had seen, they read from the book of Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John Glenn, the first American astronaut to orbit the earth back in 1962, years later as a 77-year-old man, looking out from the space shuttle discovery, remarked, and I quote from John Glenn, to look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God is to me impossible. But here's the point. Friedrich, Friedrich is the way you say it, Friedrich Nietzsche, renowned atheist, Here's what he said. I want you to look carefully at what Friedrich, Friedrich Nietzsche said. If one were to prove this God of the Christians to us, we should be even less able to believe in him. It is our preference that decides against Christianity, not arguments. Let me read that again. If one were to prove this God of the Christians to us, we should be even less able to believe in him. It is our preference that decides against Christianity, not arguments. That's what's happening in the text. The accusation, he's casting out demons by Beelzebub. That's illogical. That's ludicrous. That's irrational. But when somebody wants to resist the truth and they're determined they're going to resist the truth, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter the argument you present. It doesn't matter how logical and rational because now, now their decision to not do the right thing based on truth has nothing to do where the rationality of the argument, what it has to do is 
with the will. Now it's volitional. Let me say it another way. Now it's an issue of the heart. And that's the problem with these religious leaders. And so their accusation is illogical, but it's not just illogical. It goes further than that. It's blasphemy. And that's why Jesus says, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He's guilty of an eternal sin. And still today we have debate over this thing we call the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I've had people ask me as a pastor over the years, I think, have I committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Am I, am I, is there any hope for me? And they have all kind of different ideas on what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Now let me read you what I put in my notes, just so I make it clear. This is my opinion. I want to make that clear. It's my opinion. People still question and debate exactly what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. I think sometimes in attempting to go too deep on a matter, we may lose the simple understanding of the issue. The issue here is the clear evidence that what Jesus is doing is not only in opposition to Satan, but it is by the power of God. The New Testament tells us that the works Jesus did and the miracles he performed testified to the truth of who he is. But instead of acknowledging the truth evidenced by Jesus' works and, of course, making the right decision based on the acknowledgement, these religious leaders absurdly accuse him of casting out demons by Beelzebub, and in doing so, they commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, some people might go, well, I've never accused Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebub, so am I in the clear? We also call the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit the unpardonable sin because Jesus said never be forgiven in this world or in the one to come. It's eternal. My understanding of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, very simply, it's not responding correctly to the witness of the Holy Spirit as to who Jesus is and based on who he is, make a right decision regarding that truth. Now, I want to show you a couple of things that to me back up what I just said. Luke chapter 16 and verse 31. I'm just going to read the one verse, but I need to give you the context of the verse. And the context is Jesus tells a story of a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. We, we are not told the name of the rich man, but the rich man dies. He wakes up in Sheol, and he wakes up in what we call hell. And he's tormented in fire, in flames. Lazarus, the beggar, dies. He also ends up in Sheol, but a different part of Sheol. Both are down, down, somewhere in the heart of the earth. One is called hell, and there's flames, and there's fire, and there's torment. The other is called Abraham's bosom. That's where Lazarus, the beggar, ended up. Abraham's bosom because he died in the fate of Abraham. What fate is that? Through your seed, singular word, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. It's a prophecy about Jesus. And all who died prior to the cross went to the grave after physical death, but they went to a place called Abraham's bosom. That's what Jesus tells us in Luke 16. And other verses confirm it. You couldn't go to heaven because the sacrifice sufficient for your sin wasn't made. 
But you did go to a place because based on your faith now, you're not going to burn. You're a place of comfort, and you're awaiting the fulfillment of the prophecies in regarding the Messiah. And once fulfilled, Psalm 68 came true. It says he led captives in his train, and he went, Peter said, to Sheol. And he emptied Abraham's bosom. And now to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. But the point of the story, rich man in hell, but he can see across to Abraham's bosom. He says to Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water because I'm tormented in these flames. Abraham says, son, you made your decision in your life. Basically, he made his. He made the right one. You made the wrong one. Your destiny is sealed. I can't come there. He can't come there. You can't come here. No, not possible. Well, then, Father Abraham, I have brothers. I have five brothers. Send someone to warn them. Send someone from the dead. And here's what the answer was. Verse 31 of Luke 16. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. You take that and you link it up with 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Let me just tell you what that is. That is where the scripture tells us that every scripture in this Bible is from the Holy Spirit. That God, using human agents, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gave us this book. And this book, what Jesus is saying in Luke 16 is, if you won't respond to the truth of this book, you won't respond even if someone rises from the dead. And by the way, someone has risen from the dead. Now let me take you to one last scripture. And you may see something you've never seen before. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. And in Matthew 12, we read about the same incident that I'm teaching on from Mark, chapter 3. For example, verse 25, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, etc. Verse 26, if Satan drives out Satan, he's divided, etc. Verse 29, how can anyone enter a strong man's house, etc. And then you get to verse 31. And here's what Jesus said. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. You can say anything you want against Jesus. You can use his name in vain. You can do anything you want, but you can be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. So in the context, listen carefully, in the context of what he says, verse 30, he who is not with me is against me. In the context then, what he's saying very clearly is, if you haven't responded correctly to the witness from the Holy Spirit, even if it's simply the Word of God and the truth from the Word, and you haven't made decisions based on that truth that are right decisions, you are in the same predicament that these religious leaders that said you're casting out demons by the Lord of the flies, by Beelzebub. You're headed for the same destiny they are because they resisted and rejected the witness that was obvious as to who Jesus is. And if you reject that same witness... 
No matter how it comes in your life, you suffer the same fate. Because Jesus is the only way you can be forgiven. And if by the witness of the word of God and whatever else he allows in your life and the witness why he, he, he brings you and he, he brings you to a place where you go, I got to make a decision. Yes, you have to make a decision. And no decision is a decision. You can believe in God. Satan loves you to believe in God. The devils believe in God. James says the devils believe in God. They don't have salvation. He says they believe in God and they tremble. You can attend a church service all you want. You can come for years. You can have a wife that's a Christian, but, and you can believe in Christianity, but, but you haven't made the step. You haven't, you, haven't, you haven't made the decision. You haven't responded. And no response is a response. And so here's the deal. The consequences of failing to respond correctly to the truth about Jesus is right in the text. First of all, is you're eternally unforgiven. Because the only way you can be forgiven is to respond to the witness of the Holy Spirit in your life and accept Jesus and then repent, turn from the way you're going, and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's the only way you can be forgiven. Belief in God won't do it. Coming to church won't do it. Being Trying to be a good person won't do it. No, it, you have to accept Jesus and become a follower of Jesus. That's the only way. You have to be born again. And God does the born again part. You make the decision where you can do the work in your life. And then there's a consequence of, a consequence of remaining enslaved to the world. Another whole message for another time. But in John chapter 8, Jesus gets in another conflict with these religious leaders. And there, he tries to show them they're enslaved to the world. And they say, we've never been slaves to anybody. Well, wait a minute. Did you forget the 400 plus years in Egypt? Have you forgotten? Have you speak these words? Who's ruling over you? Rome. But it goes deeper than that. Because Jesus said in that blistering message recorded in Matthew's gospel, chapter 23, he said, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You clean the outside of the cup, but then on the inside, you, you got problems. And then in Luke's gospel, chapter 16, he said, the Pharisees, they love money. And when he said that, they sneered at him. They're enslaved to the things of this world. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's the spirit of Lucifer. Now, I'd like to end on a positive note. I hope you'll appreciate that. In the text, what are the consequences of responding correctly to the truth about Jesus? You make the right decision based on the truth. I never forget tired. I never get tired of this. You're eternally forgiven. I love Colossians chapter 2. He forgave us all our sins. Not just some of them. He gave us all our sins. And then you're free. You're free. You're free from, from, you don't have to be bound by whether the stock market goes up or down. I'm not saying humanly that doesn't affect us. I understand the practicality of that. I mean, if my, all my you know, things were in the stock market and everything crashed, I'd be concerned about my family, but then I'd be drawn back to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, you know. And so I have a refuge. And see, you have a refuge now. And you're free. You don't, have to be, you don't have to be dictated by what the world does and how the world acts and reacts. You're free now from the world. You're free from the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Not that we don't struggle with it, but now you have, now you have someone that can help you. And now your sight is set not on the things of this life. Jesus said, what will it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? So now you're free. 
You're part of another kingdom, an enduring kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. And then you have peace with God. Oh, man, man, what a benefit. Me and God, we have no issues anymore. Oh, he's still working on me. I'm not saying that. He's still working on me. But I mean, there's no conflict anymore. There's no war. I'm not trying to hide from him, which is a crazy thought anyway. I mean, we're at peace. We're at peace. He loves me and I love him. And we're at peace through Jesus. And now there's power available. I thought I'd spend more time on this one, especially in light of having Mark come and pray. And, but I think just a couple of moments in the closing, you'll get it, that in this text, the conflict here and the accusation wrongly by these religious leaders, the conflict ultimately goes beyond this geographical setting recorded in Mark's gospel for us. It goes beyond where it happened literally in the land of Israel. It's a cosmic conflict. It's a conflict between two kingdoms. And there are only two kingdoms. It's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. It's the kingdom of Lucifer and the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom where Lucifer reigns and the kingdom where Jesus reigns. And every other conflict is tied to that cosmic conflict. And choices that we make in light of those two conflicts determine not only our eternal destiny, but it also determines how you're going to handle now the conflicts in this life. Because isn't it odd? Isn't it even ironic that hell unites to divide? Think about that. Hell unites to divide. Wants to divide you and your wife, you and your husband, you and your mom, you and your dad, you and your son, you and your daughter. Wants to divide families. Wants to divide cities. Wants to divide nations. Wants nation against nation. That's hell's plot and plan. Satan has come to rob, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. There's power available. And then finally, (laughs) making the right decision in response to Jesus and the truth about Jesus. You have secured your inheritance. You have secured a place in the future. Living in a world where there will be no conflict. The prelude to that eternal world is called the millennium or the thousand year reign of of Christ. Isaiah prophesies in chapter 2 and he says about this coming time that in that day of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. So it's a gradual during the millennium. He begins to clean things up. He rules with justice. And I want to close with this verse and I'm going to ask you to join me and let's all say it together. And say it out loud but let's think about it. And the wonderful truth of this prophetic verse talks about when he comes and what he's going to accomplish. This is just one of the many wonderful things he's going to accomplish. Now, are you ready? Let's say it together. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. 
We're so thankful to be able to share the Word of God with you here on The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you want to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. You can also join in our Bible reading plan. Just look under the Resources tab on our website for more information. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? You might not realize how powerful prayer can be, especially during such uncertain times. There might be a listener who's really struggling, and God might stir in their heart a renewal of their faith simply by listening to this program. Please pray that each person who hears these messages would find encouragement. Just as we're reminded in Mark, God came to earth as a human, suffered in all the ways we do, and ultimately came to redeem each one of us. That's the takeaway we hope every listener gains from tuning in. Please pray for us also to seek God's will for this program and for it to continue to reach people in a powerful way. Thanks for praying with and for us. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Danny continued looking at the book of Mark. We hope that you'll tune in again right here on The Living Word.